I don't know that I've ever come to church on a Sunday and not been grateful for the freedom we have to gather as we've traveled to countries where this just isn't allowed and we just realize how much freedom we have. Help us to be good stewards with the freedom that you've offered to us. Help us to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's funny, we, had a, we always have a rehearsal in the morning and uh, it was, might be the smoothest rehearsal ever and somebody said that scares me because it went so smooth, what's going to happen? So it does feel like um, things have been a little bit chaotic, so thank God that he's in control. Grab your Bibles, turn to, your, to uh, Luke. We're going to start in chapter 5. If you use an electronic reader, that's great. I want to encourage you, bring whatever it is that you use to study at home here. I want to encourage you to take notes if you are so inclined to maybe underline something in your Bible, highlight in your Bible, write a note in the margin of your Bible. We would encourage that. If not, there's room on the back of your bulletin usually for you to take notes. The idea of taking notes is if if you hear a word, a phrase, something that stirs in you, write it down. You're going to be much more likely to remember. It's something for you to go back to when you're sitting at home on Wednesday and you're like, what was that? that thing that Doug said, if you have it written down, you'll be able to pull it out. So we just want to encourage you to do that as a way of retaining things. If you feel so inclined and you want to check in on social media or send something out on Twitter or whatever you use while you're in here, we want to encourage you to do that as well. So at this point in the story of Luke, uh, Luke has, Jesus has launched his public ministry. And, and kind of what I want you to hold in your mind as we go through Luke is throughout this, the story of Luke, we're going to hear this reference to crowds. Crowds are those people that have come out to, to follow Jesus. And then we're going to hear a reference to disciples. And you got to kind of read between the lines when you hear disciples because there was a whole group of people, maybe a hundred plus, could have been even more than that, were the, that were disciples of Jesus. They were part of the crowds, but they had decided to be a little more intentional in their following of Jesus. And quite often when we read disciples, we assume that's the 12 disciples, but it, it's not always that. You just got to kind of pay attention to the language and it'll help you to understand what they mean. So we have the disciples and then we have the 12 apostles. So what we're going to see is, is Jesus is beginning to call his disciples. It's not until chapter six that he's going to be able to call the, or he's going to begin to call the inner 12. So that's kind of what's going on. And I, I just want you to hold on to that. The question that we're chasing after this morning is what are the qualities, what are the characteristics that God desires from us to truly be his disciples. What are the qualities, what are the characteristics of a true disciple of Jesus? So with that question, I'm going to read Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. I hope by now your Bible just falls open to the book of Luke. I hope that during the week you're reading ahead. If you're uh, not on social media or you're not getting the emails from us, um, you should sign up for that because we'll tell you each week, hey, here's what we're studying, give you a chance to read through it and to get that. So verses 1 through 11, Luke 5. It says, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one that began to Simon, belonged to Simon. Now remember, Simon is the one that becomes Peter. And he asked him to put a little way from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners and to the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so it was full and the boats began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw this and he fell at Jesus' knees and he says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to the shore and they left everything and they followed him. I'm going to pray one more time. Lord, we just stand here in your presence. We thank you for your word of God. We ask that the word of God would be our rule. We ask that the spirit of God would continue to be our teacher. We ask that your glory would be our greatest concern. And the prayer this week is the prayer the same as last week and the week prior, that we would interact with the living God and we would leave this place different than we came. And I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you go back and you look at verse 37 of chapter 4, it says to us that reports about Jesus went into every place in the surrounding region. Jesus has has kind of set up camp around the Sea of Galilee, and now the, the word about this guy is going out all over to the surrounding regions. And people are coming from everywhere to see what's going on. They want to hear him speak, and they want to see the, the miracles that are going on. It's become kind of a, a show, if you will, so that crowds are, are coming. There's so many people, in fact, that it says that the people are pressing in on Jesus and making it difficult for him to actually communicate with them. So I was thinking about how would I illustrate this idea? And if we were all to get up right now and we were to go into the parking lot and I were to have something I wanted to tell you that you all really, really wanted to hear, maybe. So I had something you really wanted to hear and you were all trying to get closer. If you think about it, the people in the back would be pushing up towards to get closer and they would be pushing on the backs of the people in front of them and those people would be pushing on the backs in front of them and it becomes sort of this, this scene of chaos. Everybody pressing in, everybody pushing towards Jesus, trying to just hear what he's going to say, trying to get a view of what he's going to do. It's chaos. It says the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I think I read through this probably 10 times before I kind of had this like moment where I saw what it says there. Did you see what it says? They were listening to what? The word of God. He wasn't just another teacher. He's not just some guy coming and he's not just doing a show. They were listening to the word of God. But the truth is, it's not a good setting. It's not a good environment for teaching, right? So Jesus sees these two boats. They're probably 20 to 30 foot wooden boats, And he decides to use the boats to get out into the water a little ways and kind of create maybe a natural sort of amphitheater, for lack of a better word. So he he asked Simon if he would put him out in the boat. Luke begins at this moment in the story to use this very natural story as a teaching moment for all of us. And what he's telling us is here are the distinctive marks of what Jesus is looking for and the people that he is going to call to be his disciples. And the first of those marks, the first mark of a disciple is obedience. Jesus is looking for those who will follow him. Jesus is looking for those who will be willing to be led by him. He's looking for people who understand their need to be obedient to the word of God. And what I love about this story is there is this natural progression 
from a pretty simple request to kind of a more and more difficult request. So look at verse three. It says he got into one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon. I don't think that was a coincidence. There's something going on here. Almost like he's God or something. He gets into the boat and he asks him, hey, put out a little bit from shore. And so Simon would have said, no big deal, right? I'm just gonna put the boat out a 10, 15, 20 feet, however far Jesus wants. It's still gonna be shallow, but we're just gonna get out there. And the truth of the matter is, at that point, who has the best seat in the house? Simon, he gets to sit in the boat while Jesus teaches all the people. This is not a difficult request. It's very simple for him to say, sure, I'll do that. I get to say, and we don't know how long Jesus taught. My guess is, my best guess is it was hours. Jesus taught for a couple hours. He talked to the crowds. I think they would have been disappointed if he had talked for 10 minutes and said, okay, that's all I got today. So it could have even been a good part of the day that they were in the boat and Jesus sat in the boat and he taught and Simon would have been there listening Jesus is looking for obedience. And the first request is pretty simple, but the second request becomes a bit of a challenge for him. Look at verse five. It says, Jesus asked him to go out and Simon answers, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nest. Jesus says, let's go out into the deep water and let's go fishing. So the nets that they were using, they were called trammel nets and they were made out of linen. So nowadays we have nets and they're made out of monofilament. And the beauty of monofilament is there, it's harder for the fish to see them, see the net to see the line during the day. But the nets that they were using were pretty primitive and the fish could see them during the day. So really all of the fishing took place at night because that's when the fish couldn't see the nets that were being cast. So, so here's Simon saying, look, I don't know if you know this. I know you're not a fisherman, you're a carpenter and everything and you're a really good teacher, but this ain't gonna work. We can go if you wanna go, but we didn't even catch anything last night. So we're not gonna catch anything today. But if you say so... I'm willing to do it. Now, here's the deal. The test of your obedience is not when it's easy. The test of your obedience isn't when you want to do something. The test of your obedience is when you have no desire and you think this is never going to work. This is crazy. Why would God ask me to go fishing during the day? The fish just doesn't work. We've tried this many times. You don't catch fish during the day. But I love it. What does Simon say? He says, well, if you say so, I will do it. And that's what Jesus is looking for. Because you say so, I will do it. It doesn't make much sense to me. I don't really understand why you would ask me to do this. I don't think it's going to work. But because you say so, I'm going to do it. And so the question God's asking you this morning is, what does God want you to do? that you don't want to do? What is God asking you to do? And when you think about it, you think that is never going to work. Maybe he's telling you, I want you to go have a heart-to-heart conversation with somebody who has really hurt you in the past. I don't want to do that. It's probably not going to make any difference anyway. Or maybe you know you've done something to hurt someone. And God has said to you, I want you to go and I want you to just say, I'm sorry, it hurt you. He said, look, they're not even a nice person. They're not going to receive my apology. It's not going to work anyway. But what if you said, I don't know why. I don't know how it's going to go. But because you said so, I'll do it. The first mark of 
of a disciple is obedience. Obedience when it's easy and obedience when it's hard. And here's how I think we get sideways in this obedience thing. I think in our minds, we want God to tell us the end game. We want God to tell us the big thing that we're supposed to do. People come to me sometimes and they sit in my office and say, I don't know what to do with my life. Can you help me figure out what God wants to do with my life? And I love that question. It's a good question for us to wrestle with. But more often than not, God is really just going to tell you what he wants you to do today. And the question is, are you willing to be obedient in the day so that then God can explain to you over the course of time what you're supposed to do with your life? We concentrate on the big thing and we lose track of the little thing. Jesus doesn't start with Simon and side of the boat and say, hey, in a few months, I'm going to change your name. And then I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm building this thing called the church and I'm going to make you the rock that I build my church on. And just for the record, you're going to have to be martyred for me. You want to sign up? No, he says, put the boat out a little ways. Okay. Let's go out into deep water and fish. You like to fish, don't you? Well, I don't think it's going to work, but okay. There is this progression of what God's asking from us. And here's what I believe. I really do believe this. If you ask God, what do you want from me today, most of you already know the answer. Most of you have already heard God say, stop. Or maybe you heard him say, start. You fill in the blank. Most of us know what God has for us in the day. Maybe he's just telling you to be more present with your family. Right? Maybe he's just saying, would you just spend a little more time with me? Would you just carve out some time every morning just to sit quietly with me before you get into the busyness of your day? Maybe some of you are thinking about buying a new shiny car and God's already said, look, you don't need any more debt. Just drive the one you got for a couple years. I don't know what God is saying to you. But what I believe is most of you do. Most of you know what God is saying in the day and you're not hearing what he's saying in the day because you want to hear, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? So James 1, says, don't be, but don't be doers, I'm sorry, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. The word, word there is logos. It's the divine revelation from God. It's what we have in the scriptures, but it's also that moment when the spirit of God speaks to us. Don't just hear God, but be doers of what he's saying. The very heart of being a disciple is that we hear and obey. It's not enough just to hear what God says. You've got to do the very thing that God calls us to do. So the first mark of a disciple that we see in this story is obedience. And the second thing we see is humility. We need to get to the place where we realize, get this, we bring nothing to the table that Jesus needs. We bring nothing to the table that Jesus needs. Now he invites us to participate, and he uses our gifts, he uses our talents, by the way, which are all the things that he gave us. But God doesn't need your money. It's an invitation to participate in the advancement of the kingdom of God. God doesn't need your talent. It's an invitation to bring your talents to the table so that God can use you. We need to get to the place that God doesn't need anything that we have. We also have to get to the place where we know that we are messed up people. 
We need to see our own depravity. So look at verse 8. Simon Peter, he saw this and he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Humility is critical to discipleship. We have to get to the place where we accurately understand who we are and who God is. Humility is not insecurity. Humility is total security in God. Get it? Humility is not insecurity. It's not being sheepish. It's not being quiet. It is having absolute security in who God is and all God has done in your life. We have to get to the place where we know who we are. We know who God is. And everything we have and everything we do is because of him. We need to get to the place where we know that God has poured out his grace and his mercy on us, that he has bestowed something special to us. I don't get to do what I do because I deserve it. No, it's just the opposite. I don't deserve any of this. Depart from me. I am wicked. And Jesus says, no, no. In me, you're forgiven. In me, you have everything you need. So here's a little confession. Why humility is so important. You see, whenever God shows up, and God does something really special. God always shows up. He's always there. God, God does something special in my life. It takes me about one second before I'm like, wow, oh, look what I did. Right? Sometimes I even think, well, look what God did through me. But it's still about me. That's why humility is so important because it's so easy for us to get crossways and think that there's something that we're doing that makes this all happen. And we forget that it's really just a... God thing. You see, if I'd have been Simon, I'd have been standing in the boat like saying, look at all these fish I caught, man. I am like the best fisherman out here. Did you see all these fish? I mean, Jesus was with me, but dudes, it's the middle of the day. We just filled two boats and they're both sinking. I am a incredible fisherman, right? I would have got all prideful about what was happening, but not Simon. It says they recognized that this was a miracle. They recognized that This wasn't their own doing. And so he falls to his knees and he says to Jesus, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Simon realizes this is a God thing. He recognizes that he's not worthy to stand in the presence of a holy God. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be obedient You have to be humble. There are so many passages of scripture about the the value of humility and the dangers of pride. And the last thing we see in this story is you have to be willing to sacrifice. Three marks of a disciple is obedience, humility, and sacrifice. One of the things you see if you look a little closer at the story is Simon and Peter, Simon Peter and James and John, sons of Zebedee, they are partners. They own they're boats. They are in business together. So what does that mean? It means that they're not just hourly workers who are standing down at the shore looking for work to do. It means that they are the providers for not just their family, for other families. Other hourly workers would come down and look to them to give them employment. They had a social standing. They had a business that was at work. They were, they were entrepreneurs. They had this, 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 this position within the community with that in mind. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed Jesus. 
the powerful phrase in this that Jesus speaks over Simon that really captured my attention this week are the words from now on. He says, from now on, things are gonna be different. From now on, you're not gonna do things the way you used to. Being called by God requires putting a stake in the ground and saying, from now on, it's different. So what does it mean? Does it mean that all of you are gonna have to leave your current career and do something different? I don't think so. I don't know what it means for you. I know what it meant for me. I know that when I decided I was gonna follow Jesus, it was very clear from now on, I don't have this business thing for you. I'm calling you to something different. That was my journey. The question is, what's your journey? But here's what I know to be true. Jesus is gonna say to you, from now on, it's different. From now on, your workplace is a place of ministry, right? From now on, you represent me in everything that you do. Things change when you say yes to Jesus, regardless of your career, following Jesus, he'll say, from now on, it's different. And then it says that they left everything and followed him. They left their businesses. They left their social standing. They left their comfort. They left their daily connection with family and friends. It says they left everything. They were willing to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. One of the true marks of a disciple is that we're willing to put everything into play. The word everything in the Greek means everything. Somebody knew that was coming. (laughs) Here's what I believe. Nothing would transform this community of believers more than this truth. If we were willing to put everything into play, it would radically transform this church. We wouldn't know what to do with the financial resources. We wouldn't know what to do with the people resources. It would change this community. It would change the world if all of us were willing to say, everything I have is in play for you, Jesus. Everything, my family, my entertainment, everything is yours. My money, my time, my talents, my everything, Lord, everything is in play. And here's why it would change things, because for some of you, God would say, that's great. I want you to go. I want you to go to Morocco. I want you to go to Iran. I want you to go to Iraq. I want you to go to Northern India. I want you to go where I send you. For others, he would say, I want you to stay. And I want you to pray for, and I want you to be a financial resource behind those people that go. It would change everything that happens here at Grace if we were willing to put everything into play. Here's the bottom line. This group of Jesus followers in this room We only function as the church when we truly desire to live like Jesus and Jesus put everything in play for the kingdom of God. Now here's where I struggled with my sermon. I don't know how to use the word sacrifice because in truth, I have never really sacrificed anything. I think I'm sacrificing, but there's something that always happens in the midst of my trying to sacrifice for God that I get way more back than I ever gave. And so in the end, when I look back, it doesn't feel like much of a sacrifice. My life is completely different. People say, oh, you sacrifice. Look, I have a family that I never had. I have a relationship with my wife that I never had. There's so many things that are such a blessing to me. I have not sacrificed anything. I have invested, maybe, that's not even a good word. 
And here's what I want you to hear because I don't want the emails. I am not saying if you put a dollar in the plate, you're going to get $10 back. God is not really all that concerned with your bank account. But he does wish to pour out his blessings on you. And he is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have to put everything into play. You got to be willing to leave everything and follow me. When we understand God's economy, it feels to me like sacrifice is impossible. Jesus is looking for true followers, disciples. He's looking for those who are willing to be obedient. He's looking for those who are humble. And he's looking for those who are willing to sacrifice. Lord, I just pray that the truth of these three words would sink deep. It's pretty simple stuff. Probably not too many people in the room that are hearing something for the very first time, yet I think we all need to live into these three words more and more and more. Help us to be a people who are humble before you and willing to put everything into play and to be absolutely obedient. Help us to be people who hear and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to take communion together. The idea of communion is put in place by God as an ordinance to help us to remember that Jesus really did put everything into play, that he sacrificed his own life. The scriptures say that in being very nature God, he didn't figure equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He was obedient to the cross. All of the words we talked about are modeled in the life, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So we come to the table, we take communion as a way of remembering, as a way of humbling ourselves before God. Here's how it works at Grace. If you've said yes to Jesus, then you're invited to be part of the table. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, I'd like to just invite you to do that. Right now, you just say, Lord, I am messed up and I need you in my life. Would you be my Lord and Savior? And then come, take the, take the elements with us today as a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to ask the uh, servers to come down. I'm going to pray, and we're going to pass this out. And, and we're just going to have a little bit of music playing. Ron's going to play for us. And I just want to invite you to do a little self-examination. Where are you with God? The scriptures tell us that before we take the table, we are to examine ourselves. We are to examine ourselves. Lord, what is it that you want me to do differently? Lord, where is sin in my life that you want me to confess? Hold on to the elements and we'll take them together. So Lord, I just pray that you would move as we just sit and examine our own hearts before you. Amen. Ron?